Just to bring you up to date on the news of Europe, if you're just turning on your radios... Good evening. The television and radio stations of the United States and their affiliated stations are proud to provide facilities for a... When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another... Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll! Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ! Hello, and welcome to Storytime in History with Miss Gitlin, a history education podcast so that you can learn without having to be in the classroom. Today, as you might have been able to tell from the addition to our theme music, I'm going to be discussing Vietnam. Now, if you don't know about the addition to our theme music, then you probably are one of my students who hasn't seen the Robin Williams movie. But hey, now you have a great new movie to watch, literally called Good Morning Vietnam, which here are two clips of. Thank you for that lovely tune. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. Let's go, let's boogaloo till we puke. We're talking out the field today. Hi, what's your name? My Bob Fever! Bob, what do you do? I'm in artillery! Thank you, Bob. Is we play anything for you? Anything! Just play it loud, okay? Go watch it. Tell me what you think. The movie is actually about the Vietnam War, but that's not exactly what we're going to be talking about today. The events we're going to be talking about do lead to the Vietnam War, but we have to rewind time a bit in order to do so. So how this is going to work is I'm going to tell you the story of how France imperialized Vietnam, basically. And I'm going to do that in a bit of an interesting way. I'm going to start the story off with how they actually got there, and then I'm going to talk about what actually happened when they were controlling Vietnam, and what it means for the rest of history and the world as we know it today. So that's the basic structure of how this is going to work, and here we go. So Vietnam, if you don't already know, is a Southeast Asian country on the Southeast China Sea. The capital is Hanoi, and if you go there today, you'd be entering a communist country. That also has a bunch of French landmarks. Why? Well, because France took over the country in the late 1800s and didn't give up their control until after World War II. And that's the main story today. So because I've mentioned France, I really can't talk about these events without having to bring up a Napoleon. Now, it's not Napoleon Bonaparte, it's Napoleon III, because Napoleon the Bonaparte is very dead by this point. So Napoleon III, in 1857, decides to invade Vietnam. And he does this for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's going to really be influenced by missionary propaganda, is a bunch of Catholic missionaries are saying that we need to go out and we need to spread Catholicism to new places, and he's going to turn to Asia in order to do it. But why Asia? Well, because France is really jealous, and they're also really needing new people to buy their stuff. A bunch of French capitalists, now that France has industrialized, have all of these new products and new innovations, and they want people to buy them so that they can make money. But also, France is really jealous of the amount of control that other Western European countries have in Asia, and so Vietnam is the answer to both of those needs. So... 
Napoleon III sends this naval commander, a guy named De Genui, and he's going to attack the harbor city of Tehran, which at the time in Vietnam is called Da Nang, and he's going to turn this city into a French military base to base all of his attacks later on the country in. So he takes over terrain in about a day, and he soon recognizes that he can't make a lot of inland progress without more of a foothold. So he's going to turn around and actually get back in his ships to attack Saigon and try and get some stable footing. And I don't really want to tell this story without mentioning that Vietnam does resist. De Genoui is not having to turn around just because he doesn't know the geography and he's a little lost. He, it's because the Vietnamese are able to use the geography against him. It's their home. They know how to fight on it. They've been doing it for longer than he has. And I think it's just a really gross interpretation if you don't mention that the people who are going to end up being taken over by the French here do fight back. Vietnamese resistance prevent the French from advancing beyond Saigon, and it takes more French troops, it takes more commanders, and it takes them more years. It takes them until 1861 to occupy the three provinces in Vietnam. And really, the Vietnamese are unable to mount a long-lasting effective resistance to the invasion because France has advanced weapons. They have industrial capabilities that the Vietnamese don't have. And so the Vietnamese are forced to sign a peace treaty in June of 1862, and it basically gives up most of the territory to France. It takes another five years to add additional territories in the south, and that basically completes most of Vietnam. France is also going to invade Cambodia and Laos and call one big territory of all of those countries Indochina, but Vietnam specifically is going to be broken up into three provinces once they're occupied by France. In the north, you have Tonkin. In the center, you have Annam. And in the south, you have Cochin, China. Now, while France may have taken over and now they have this peace treaty, it's harder to establish control. France is going to take eight more years to make themselves masters of this territory. And I use masters because they're going to do it using military strategies like divide and conquer in order to do it. So not only are the French going to have to wait, they're going to really have to work at it because the Vietnamese do resist and they try and try and try. But ultimately, it's a really sad story that they can't. And France is going to use really cruel tactics in order to do it. And the biggest one that they're going to use is called divide and rule. Now, divide and rule does take time. It takes them about 16 years to extend their control over all of the country entirely. And what they have to do, basically, is that they have to turn the Vietnamese against each other. This is also why the Vietnamese resistance kind of falls apart because you always have someone who is going to want the fighting to stop and they're going to do whatever it takes to do it. And so you have people in Vietnam who are deciding to work with the French. And as soon as that happens, France now has someone that the other Vietnamese resistance can turn their anger on. As soon as the French can turn the Vietnamese people against each other, it's almost a losing battle from there. 
and France is going to be on the winning side because of it. So France turns the Vietnamese people against each other using collaborators. They're going to turn them against each other by offering power to different local rulers. And by the time the emperors are deposed, Vietnam is really truly divided, and it's all because of France's tactics. Now, I don't want to just tell you all about France's accomplishments in taking over Vietnam. I want to take a brief moment to tell you one of my favorite stories, which is the, the French are winning in Vietnam, they've taken over all this territory, and in 1873 there's this guy named Francis Garnier. He's a naval officer, and he's an explorer, and he's got this really romantic idea of how he's going to bring the French so much glory and money, because he wants to basically sail up the Mekong River and establish trade with China. Now, he's not going to be able to do it very well, because China is not part of France's empire. And so as he's sailing up the Mekong River near Hanoi, he gets attacked by a bunch of pirates who don't really like the French, and he's going to end up being killed, which is a huge embarrassment for the French. So I don't want you to think that the French were just these evil masterminds, because they make some really dumb decisions trying to just get some money and glory. Now, within a decade... France has control of most of this territory, and they're going to try and turn Vietnam into a Western-style administration. And how they're going to do this is that there's a guy named Paul Dumer, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, we're just going to go with it. So Paul Dumer is a governor general. He's the guy who's going to come in and whip everything into shape. He arrives in 1897, and he's going to impose French rule directly at all levels of government. And the Vietnamese, who had been retaining some power, are now going to be kicked down the stairs, so to speak, and kept at really low levels. Um, even the Vietnamese emperors were deposed at will and replaced by others who were willing to serve the French, and even they were kept really, really low on the totem pole, because France knows that they don't want native Vietnamese having any form of power in their colony, because if they do, then they are going to try and take some of that power back for themselves, and France can't allow that. So all important positions within this government, in the colonial government of Vietnam, are staffed with officials imported from France. And Despite the fact that France doesn't really have a ton of people, it's still pretty successful because of their divide and rule strategy. France is able to take over and they basically just start giving orders. They have enough people who are willing to work with the French government in Vietnam to control the country. Now, why? Why would you choose to work with a bunch of people who are clearly not in it for your best interest? Well, they're going to because France offers them some privileges. It's exactly what people did in America under slavery, is that poor whites were offered positions that gave them a little bit of power over black slaves, and that's kind of what's happening here, is France is going to offer some privileged few in Vietnam some power over the less privileged. Now, I want to say that this is also part of their strategy, because as soon as you offer this to one group, the other group is going to get immediately mad, and these privileged landowners and bureaucrats, the collaborators who are working with the French, suddenly have to 
live in fear because if they're traveling down the road or they're traveling at night, they could be ambushed and attacked by the people that they're now controlling. That's kind of what the French were afraid of. They don't have the numbers or the power and it's not going to stop anyone from being mad at you and possibly attacking you if they think that they have the opportunity to. So I don't want to just tell you the story that these people are clearly just working in it for their own good because there are risks to doing this. They are basically acting against most of these former resistance members. They're acting against their own people and no one does it very lightly. There's risks associated, there's dangers, but a lot of them do it because they want the opportunities. They don't want to be treated poorly. And so they're going to do the more unfortunate thing, the lesser of two evils, in order to try and protect themselves and possibly their families. So now France has control, and they're going to turn their attention to how to make money off of Vietnam, because that was one of their motivating factors in the first place. They want to make money using colonies. So how they do it is using plantations. They have rice and rubber plantations. They have orchards where they're forcing the Vietnamese people to make wine. They have salt mines, and eventually they're going to have opium fields. And these plantations are certainly very, very dire. The conditions here are not good. Now, the way that the French end up treating the people here who work on the plantation is really telling when you look at corvee, which is an unpaid labor force where basically if you were a man in Vietnam, you had to work unpaid for a certain amount of time for the French government. It was a law. And the plantation working conditions barely offered any pay in the first place. The rubber plantations were particularly dangerous because work-related fatalities were really commonplace. And it's really, really cruel in order to take advantage of these people, not pay them, and then not even care if they die. And it's even worse when you look at the context, because most of the Vietnamese even saw the French themselves as lesser of two evils. Vietnam is not new to this imperializing game. China had taken over Vietnam in the past, and the French are at least looking like the good guys because the French are at least feeding them. The Chinese had treated them terribly. They had considered the Vietnamese people subhuman, and the French at least found it acceptable to feed Vietnamese servants leftovers. The French actually looked like the better of the options because while they were treated like children, they were at least fed a little bit and they were allowed to work as servants for the benefit of France. But only for the benefit of France. If you didn't have the purpose and if you didn't have the ability to help France, then you certainly weren't going to be treated any nicer than anyone else. So these plantations are where they're making most of their money. The French are going to take the rice and the rubber cultivated here in Vietnam and bring it back to France to either be made into manufactured goods in their factories or they're going to take it and sell it on the world market. Now, it's kind of telling to see the conditions on these plantations if you look at rice consumption, because the rice cultivation, the actual growing of rice, quadrupled between 1880 and 1930. However, during the same period, individual peasant rice consumption, how much rice they're eating, decreased. And there's no other substitution of other foods, which means that Sure, they might be being fed, but it's in way less amounts. And you have to think of the population increase between that time as well. So 
the French are really taking advantage of how much they can force the Vietnamese people to work on these plantations just for the idea of making money off of them. Now, I think this proves why the French civilizing mission, civilisatrice, is really wrong. And there are even people, apologists, who say that French rule led to a lot of improvements. They're going to say that the French brought better medical care, better education, better transportation, better communication. But the statistics that the French kept themselves on what was happening in Vietnam really cast some doubt on that because by 1939, there are no more than 15% of all school-age children receiving any kind of schooling, and about 80% of the population was illiterate. Now, 80% of the population being illiterate doesn't sound like it would be bad if it started from 90% of the population being illiterate, but actually before the French showed up, most Vietnamese people had some kind of literacy. But by the time the French are really in charge, by the 1930s, there's less people reading and writing, which I think is pretty telling. Also, with more than 20 million inhabitants in Vietnam, by 1939, again, they have one university with fewer than 700 students. And in terms of secondary schools, like middle schools and high schools, only a small number of Vietnamese children were even admitted. Medical care may have been more Western, but the French weren't bringing Western medical care for the Vietnamese. The French were bringing Western medical care so that they could take care of themselves while in Vietnam. Because 1939, again, that's where the study is, uh, there were only two doctors for every 100,000 Vietnamese persons. Compare that to 76 doctors per 100,000 Japanese people and 25 doctors per 100,000 Filipino people at the same time period, and it's just ridiculous how little care was actually offered by the French in this time period. So I think anyone trying to say that it brought new advancements to, that benefited the Vietnamese people are really just lying to themselves because the amount of devastation that is seen in this time period of the French controlling Vietnam, especially to the national identity and the culture and everything else in Vietnam, is really, really detrimental. Now, why are we talking about this? Why does it matter that you should be sitting here or walking around and listening to me in your headphones talking about the French colonizing Vietnam? Well, Vietnam wouldn't look the way it does today without the French. Yes, the French brought railroads and highways and hospitals and Western-style education, but they also brought racism and oppression and a lot of devastation that leaves its scars. I don't know if you guys know anyone who's experienced any amount of trauma in their lives, but it tends to leave its marks on how people act and operate, and especially what happens when that ends, how people try and heal from it. Vietnam went through trauma after trauma with the French, and once you've been oppressed in the way that the Vietnamese were oppressed by the French, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility why someone would agree to become a communist government, which is what Vietnam is today. Vietnam was oppressed by the French, and suddenly there's a communist party coming and telling them, hey, 
this shouldn't happen. You're being worked to death by people making money off of you. You should rise up and have a revolution against them. And that's exactly what happens. And I think the reason why it was so successful where a lot of other communist uprisings were not as successful is because France had been beaten down themselves in World War II. They lost badly at the beginning of World War II. And by the time the Allies won, France is pretty devastated. They don't have the military or the money to hold on to all of their colonies. And so it's no surprise that the Vietnamese resistance and independence movements start after World War II and after France cannot hold on to the power in the region anymore. So really, this is where we see the roots of the Vietnam War. And I think it's probably why we have to look at places where imperialism has touched to see why they look like the way they are today. So this story has been a little long. You've had to listen to me for a very long time, but I thank you for listening to my story, listening to me rant, and I hope you come away knowing something new today about a place of the world you might not have thought about a lot before. Next week, we're going to be talking about Japan and how Japan does things a little bit differently. Japan is going to take imperialism and use it for themselves. They're going to turn themselves into an empire where Vietnam resisted and failed and now has taken on a completely different shape. But in order to listen into that story, you're going to have to listen in next time. This has been Storytime in History with Miss Gitlin. Thank you all for listening and I'll talk with you soon. Bye-bye. I won't forget you. Alright guys, let's take it back to the radio star. We're out of here!